Welcome back. We're in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Let's go. I think we may finish the entire book of Revelation today. So let's see. Verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So it says, I, Jesus, so this is Jesus speaking. He sent his angel to testify about these things to the churches in Revelation, to the seven churches that we talked about in the beginning of Revelation, but it applies to, you could look at seven periods of history, but it's, it applies to everybody. You can find yourself in one of those churches, identify with one of those churches at a minimum to, to where you are. Um, are you hot? Are you cold? Are you warm? Are you ignoring? What What is it that's going on? So this applies to everybody who reads it. He gives it for a purpose. All of this came straight from Jesus. Remember that the entire Bible is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. It is without error. It is. How do we know that? Because we can test it, and there are zero contradictions in the Bible. Some people will come up with things, and they'll say, oh, this is wrong, and then <clears throat> archaeology will prove them the Bible to be right. It'll prove that, yes, this person existed. Yes, this place existed. Yes, this city existed right here where the Bible said it existed, and everybody doubted it, but it's absolutely true, just like the Bible said. And the Bible was the first to say that the, the uh, earth was round because it said it had a circumference. And no one knew that. And then finally they went back and they're like, the earth is round. And they looked in the Bible and they said, oh, we should have just looked in the Bible. It told us the earth is round before they had technology to actually uh, kind of prove that. And so God is good. Oh, he is so good. And he wants you to know that he loves you. And there's purpose to all of this. And he says, I am the root and the offspring of David. So, he's the root of David because he is the creator, and he created David. But he's also the offspring of David because in his humanity, when he came to earth, he was a descendant of David. So, uh, we see that, and then it says the bright and morning star. Jesus is bright. He provides light. Remember the contrast between light and darkness God is light, Satan is darkness, right? Satan is pretty much the opposite of what Jesus is. Not paralleled in power or anything like that. But whatever Jesus stands for, Satan stands against. And Jesus is light, and therefore Satan wants to be dark. And he wants to hide in the darkness. And that's why you see the majority of sins take place in the darkness, in the cover of night. You see... um, I'm sure, and I haven't looked at these statistics, but I would be willing to bet that all of these are accurate, that you see more shootings at nighttime, more stabbings at nighttime, more rapes at nighttime, more car thefts at nighttime, more drugs being done at nighttime, etc. In the cover of darkness, that's where people go. But Jesus is the bright and morning star, and Jesus will usher in the millennial kingdom where he will rule on earth. Satan will not be on earth. And that will be a great cause for celebration and peace and joy because Satan for that 1,000-year millennial kingdom after the tribulation, after the rapture, Satan will be bound for 1,000 years. And then there'll be one final quick, what you might call a battle, but Jesus will just go, and he's gone. He's cast the lake of fire, never to be around again. We go to 18. For I, t- uh, let's see, no, verse 17, sorry. Verse 17 of chapter 22, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let 
him take the water of life freely. So it says, and the Spirit and the bride say. So the Holy Spirit leads people to Jesus, right? Always has. But he works through the church at this point to be the hands and the feet of Jesus for unbelievers. To see what Jesus' actions look like. And then to hear the gospel about forgiveness and sacrifice and eternal life with our Creator. Right? Who's the church? That's you. So point to yourself, right? Just say, this is me. This is me. I'm held with this responsibility because Jesus wants to work through me. Not because he needs me. He can use someone else. Not because he needs my money. He doesn't need money to accomplish his purposes. He can create money. He can give it to the right person. He can do whatever he wants. But he doesn't need money. He wants people. He wants hearts. So if you say you're born again, if you say you're a Christian, which means little Christ, Christ follower, then you should be all in. And if you're not, then I encourage you to go back to God and say, I thought I was following you, but my life hasn't changed. You haven't been the most important thing. Golf has, sports has, alcohol has, uh, cheating on my spouse or whatever has been, or you know, whatever the case may be. If you're not convicted about that, then it's a good indication that you're not born again. If you're born again, and I can tell you this because I've gone through it. I, I grew up church but not changed. I don't think as a Christian because I'd do all these things. And I don't think I felt bad about them. I just wanted more of them. And then when I was 33, I came to Jesus, and that's when my life changed from that point forward. And the things of my life became secondary to Jesus. It was, Jesus, what do you want? Now help me with these things that I struggle with. Jesus, show me to look more like you. And it's that sanctification process that takes time to be more conformed to the character of God, that he's teaching me lessons, he's teaching me patience, he's teaching me understanding and to trust him and to love him, even in the midst of horrible circumstances. I've lost two children. I've had a lot of other things going on in my life too that were just hard and, and devastating, but God led me through each of them. And he's saying, I'm here. When you get to heaven, you're going to have all the riches of the world. You're going to get to see your son and your daughter who are already here. You're going to get to experience bliss and no tears forever. So just hold on. Be patient. Be long-suffering. Be steadfast and work, work forward. And that's what he wants us to do, right? So again, I just kind of physically say this. Point to yourself and say, it's my turn. Jesus is calling me. He wants my help. Not because he needs it, but he wants it. The question is, will you, will you answer? Will you respond? Will you come to him? And then it says, and the bride, so it says the spirit, we know who the spirit says, and the bride, who's the bride? That is the bride of Christ. Who's the bride of Christ? The church. Who is the church? The church is every believer, be them Gentile or Jewish, who believes that Jesus is the Messiah. They placed all their faith in Jesus. They're born again uh, from, the, uh, from the time of Pentecost through the time of the rapture, which is yet to come, but will come. That is the bride. It says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. So he says, come, in several of the verses, uh, Isaiah 118, he says, come now and let us reason together. And Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. John one thirty nine, he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. So he's made the invitation. You've heard the invitation. Have you accepted the invitation? And if you have accepted the invitation, have you invited others? It's not an exclusive invitation that you earned by your goodness. It's not a party where only those who received a written invitation, let's call that the Bible, that's your invitation, are invited. No, it's a universal invitation. And if you're, you've accepted the invitation, 
then that means you understand that it's an invitation to the greatest party in the history of the world. Forget the Super Bowl. Forget the you know Final Four. Forget whatever event that you think is the, the possibly the coolest party or event in, in world history. Take them all together. Take all the top 100 that you can think of. Put them together, and it still wouldn't uh, you know stand a chance relative to this party that we're going to have for eternity in heaven. Now, do you really want to go to this party alone? Wouldn't you rather invite as many people as you could? And then together you can spend the rest of your lives on earth preparing together for that party. Like a group of senior girls preparing together for prom. Or a group of bridesmaids or groomsmen preparing together joyfully for an upcoming wedding. Right? This is not for you to say this is just for me. If you understand the power, the party, the unbelievable awesomeness that heaven is going to be and eternity is going to be. It's like having a ticket to the Super Bowl. Yeah, you can go on that one ticket and go alone. But what if the person who gave you that ticket to the Super Bowl said, invite as many people as you want, and they will all have that 50-yard line seat with you. We will make that happen. Now, physically, we understand that that's my analogy fails at the everybody sitting at the 50-yard line. But let's just assume that that's true. Or they said as many people as you invite could just fill up the stadium. You go out and invite all your friends and family, and everybody would say yes. Or most of the people. Um... But for this party in heaven, God wants you to invite people. Just start one person at a time, telling them how awesome it's going to be, how cool it's going to be, and that you only get to come if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Verse 17 goes on to say, And let him who hears say come. So if you hear God, if you hear the Spirit, if you hear the Bible, and specifically Revelation being read to you, because remember in Revelation 1-3 he said, Now, blessed is he who hears this. So if you hear this, say come. That means say come to others. Come know Jesus. Come see Jesus. Come hear Jesus. Come read his word and study his word with me. And it says, let him who thirsts come. So whoever is hungry for God's word, let him come to Jesus. And then it says, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Whoever desires, whoever desires. You see, Jesus didn't die for a few selected and elected. He died for all. It is a universal offering. However, hear me on this one, it must be individually accepted. There is no such thing as coexist, all roads lead to the same path, or the you know all paths lead to the same place. No, if you got uh, I-10 from Texas going east, you're going to end up in the east. If you get on I-10 and go west, you're going to end up in Arizona and California, right? It's very simple. It's just like that. Not all roads lead to the same place in eternity, and not all roads lead to the same place on this earth. you got to be on the right road. It's the best road. It's the easiest road. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be reincarnated. You don't have to abstain from certain things in order to qualify. You just have to accept that Jesus is Lord. He died for your sins and he is capable of taking the punishment for your sins that you deserve and forgiving you. Let's look at John 3.16 to understand this universality. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that's the world, the entire world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, that means whoever, not a few special people, but whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then, we look at John fourteen six to bring it home where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So John 3.16 shows the universality of it. He died for every single person, past, present, and future. But John 14.6 tells us the only way to experience that, to actually be in heaven and to have that forgiveness, is to understand that no one gets to the Father except through Jesus. Going through Jesus is the only way to get access to the throne, to get access to the Father, to get access to paradise, to get access to heaven. It is the only way. And that is how God designed it. And it's so simple. We don't have to do anything or earn anything. Unlike every other religion, Christianity is based on grace, not on merit, not on what you deserve, but what on, on what he did for you, his finished work. Verse 18, it says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. So, it says this book, which definitely means this book of Revelation, but since Revelation is woven into so many other books of the Bible, by extension, it means to also not add or take away from any part of the Bible. God gave us the exact amount of books that he wanted to be in the Bible, and we are not to add to them or to take away from them. And if you do add or take away, what does it say? It says, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. So the best example uh, that I can think of right now is uh, of violating this are the Mormons. They've written several books to add on top of the Bible. And they believe that they're equal, those books, they believe are equally important and reliable. Despite the many contradictions among themselves and the numerous, numerous, numerous contradictions against the Bible. The books are not congruent with the Bible. Just as one example, Mormons hijacked the word Jesus. They put it in their title, right? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. No. They hijack it falsely because they're trying to hide and masquerade as a sheep, right? They're a, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And at the end, Jesus will say, you know, they'll, get, they'll stand around him and say, Jesus, I did this for you, I did this, and I did this. And he'll say, get behind Satan, get behind me, Satan. Right? That's what he's going to say. He tells us in the Bible. And just to look at that, you know, one of the things that they believe, sadly, is they, they believe they're going to be Jesus of their own planet, that people will worship them as, as that, that planet's God, that they'll be God of their own planet because of all the great deeds that they did on this earth. It's very sad. Now, the Mormons get sanctification. They want to conform to be more like the character of God, and that's a great thing by not doing certain things. But, they miss justification. They miss the fact that in order to be justified, to be just as if you never sinned, all it takes is trusting in Jesus. And you can't add to that. And you can't add books. You can't take away. You can't do all these things. They focus on the sanctification and they completely miss the justification. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ gets to heaven, period. You don't have to do anything else. But when you're regenerated, when you're born again, you're going to want to do things for Jesus. Verse 19, it says, If anyone takes away from the books of this prophecy, and remember, this is not for minor differences of interpretation, but for those who make stuff up, who attempt to twist the book to meet their deliberate manifestations of an alternative fake gospel. Uh, so it says, If anyone takes away from the books of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And... So 
where uh, it says, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in the book. So you won't get the blessings that are associated with the book. You won't be in the eternal kingdom. And you'll have the plagues um, that are associated with the revelation, whether that be one or multiple. Certainly the lake of fire is the eternal plague for those who reject Jesus, and that will be the consequence of unbelievers. There may be additional plagues that they uh, suffer as well. Um, the one part right here where it says God shall take away uh, from his part from the... God shall take away his part from the book of life. This one I'm not quite sure what... It understands what it means. You know, one would one view would say it's just parallel symmetry and parallelism, with him saying, "If you remove this, I'll remove you." Just kind of a a warning. The which is also saying, if you believed in Jesus and and understood his words, you wouldn't add to it. You wouldn't believe it. So you're never a believer in the first place. That's where I would put the Mormons. Right, the Mormons have, uh, were never believers. And therefore, they added books and don't feel bad about it. They're like, yeah, this, this is our new religion. This is a new thing. Oh, and it's Christianity. We're, we're Christ followers. No, you're not. You're not a Christ follower. You're a Joseph Smith follower. You, and if you look at the history of Joseph Smith and all the false things and all the horrible things that he did with his life, uh, you would understand that Mormonism is false. Um, whereas contrast that, compare and contrast that to Jesus, where Jesus was perfect, sinless, gentle, kind, didn't lie, didn't steal. Uh, not to pick on Mormons here, it's just an example that comes to mind more than any other when I, when I see, see this adding or taking away from. Um, you know, some people could look at this and say, shall take away from his part the book of life, that you could lose salvation. That's an interesting interpretation. I, that I don't believe anyone can lose their salvation um, unintentionally. It's possible that someone could willingly give up their salvation uh, which would indi- which would indicate that they were probably never a believer in the first place because why would you give up something that you, you had and you loved and you were reborn? So again, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about, but I'm not going to get dogmatic. But, that, but I will say my comments based on my biblical interpretation is that you can't lose your salvation if you've truly been regenerated, born again. And, um, but people who say they're a Christian and are not, and who therefore, and then go and say, I'm not a Christian anymore. They were never a Christian. So when I say you can kind of give up your salvation, I think that's what that means. As someone who thought they were a Christian, but they weren't truly born again, and then they walk away. And remember, that's different from someone who says they're a Christian, backslides, does things, and then God convicts them, and then they come back to God. And you know whether that's a minute later, an hour later, a day later, a year later, whatever that timetable may be, um, everybody repents of their sins at different times of their life and in different frequencies. Um, some people are just riddled with bitterness and anger. Um, yeah, I was talking to my sister-in-law about the circumstances of a friend of theirs, but I won't go into it, but this person who says claims to be a Christian and just has bitterness that was that's over 10 years old and just won't go away, unforgiveness, and she's, you know, we were talking about it. Do we really think that person's saved or not? But anyways, just kind of going in depth brings some color to um, some things. And then the last two verses here, verse 20 of chapter 22. He who testifies these things says, Surely I am coming quickly, even so. Uh, I, I, surely I am coming quickly, amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Who testifies to these things? Jesus. 
He uses that word surely. What does this mean? It is a promise to us. What is his promise? He is coming quickly. He tells us right here. Let's look at 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Does that mean he's coming in five minutes? Well, his timetable is different. Let's look. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering, hear that word, long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why hasn't he come back yet? Because he wants those on earth to have sufficient time to come to him, to love him, to turn to him. And he's waiting. He's being long-suffering. Just like in whatever you may have suffered in your life or maybe suffering now, job, illness, family, marital situation, something like that, that you're wanting it to be over. But God's teaching you patience through that long through that process. And he is long-suffering too in his timetable. He lives the past, present, and future all at the same time. He sees them all at the same time. We only live in the past, look back, or live in the present, look back to the past. And many of our memories are even uh, wrong about the past as well. And then we can you know, think about the future, but we can't look in the future. We can't see the future. And it says, uh, Amen, even so come, Lord Jesus Let's look at a few things before we wrap up, looking at Genesis versus Revelation. Genesis, creation of the heaven and earth. Revelation, the creation of a new heaven and earth. Genesis, Satan reigned on earth, reigns on, Satan's reign on earth started. Revelation, Satan forever stays in the lake of fire, and that begins. Then Genesis, and I'll stop saying Genesis or Revelation because you'll get the point. Satan was cast from heaven. In the future, Satan will be cast from the earth. In the beginning, Satan began, uh, sin began. In the end, sin is banished. In the beginning, creation was cursed. In the end, the curse is removed. In the beginning, uh, Adam and Eve lost, lost access to the tree of life. In the end, believers will regain access to the tree of life. In the beginning, they were Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. garden. In the end, we, the, uh, the believers will be welcomed to the new Jerusalem. Let's call that the new garden. In the beginning, the first death occurred on earth. In the, in the end, there will be no more death. In the beginning, there was sadness and sorrow that began and stayed. In the end, for those who have eternal life with Jesus, there will be no more tears. Then the last verse, 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The final sentence in the entire Bible is about grace. God giving you more than you could possibly deserve. This is the one thing that separates Christianity from any religion in the world. Every other religion is based on something you must do, something you must merit, something you, the, the deeds, the works, the, the time, the money, the this, the that. You have to do this. You have to do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Here's the laws. If you break these, then you got to do this. You got to do these Hail Marys. You got to go for a confessional to a, to a priest and a, a confessional. You've got to be reincarnated a thousand times. You've got to pick which of these you know, five million um, gods you want to worship and you hope that you get the right one. You've got to force everybody to believe in your religion. or And if they won't, then you have to tax them or kill them. Uh, you're right, tax, convert, or kill. All of these things. The difference with Christianity is it's based on grace. Not what you deserve, not on your works, but on His work, His finished work on the cross. And all you have to do is accept that He died the sin that you deserved, 
and that he'll forgive you by, and cover you with his blood and clothe you in his robe of righteousness. That is the final verse in the book, the greatest book ever written, the love letter from God himself, the inerrant, inspired word of God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. Means I agree with that statement, essentially. I hope you've enjoyed the study of Revelation. We're going to go on to next one. Um, take a few days off. I've got a surgery coming up in two days. Um, so I'll take off the rest of the week and start back up uh, next week. And uh, thank you so much. I, I pray that you are blessed by this. I was certainly blessed by uh, studying it alongside you and um, teaching it and learning as well as I went. And uh, I pray that you would go out and study a, another book of the Bible, maybe with me again, and, and also go and teach. Um, prove, you know, be ready in season, out, out of season, understand the whole counsel of God, and go and teach. Even if it's just one chapter that you get really good at in some point of the Bible and you just teach that, or one verse, and you just teach it over and over to your colleague, your neighbor, to kids, to people who are homeless in prison, to people who are rich, to people who are successful, to whoever you want to call it. And you can just get really good with that one verse or chapter or maybe going through books of the Bible like I'm doing. Lord, we know that you'll equip us if we, if we ask. We know that you want to equip us, that your Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. If anything comes out of my mouth or any of the believers' mouths that are um, listening when they teach, uh, that they, they would just pass through the ears and, and not be heard. But the things that come from you, Lord, the truths, that they would be heard, that digested, and transformational. Lord, I pray that you would transform our lives. I'm born again. Uh, I, be, I, I, be, I was born again at 33, and my life hasn't changed. I, help us all to keep the eye on the prize, which is you. You've given us all an invitation to the greatest party in history. You said, come. Help, help those who haven't accepted that to truly accept that invitation, Lord, and not to keep that party to themselves, not to keep that invitation to themselves. It's an invitation that multiplies. May we go and share it today, starting today, with someone at our office, in our neighborhood, at the grocery store, or wherever. Give us that that boldness and the words to evangelize, Lord. In your name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to Daily Verse by Verse. We want you to be prepared in season and out of season to study the whole counsel of God so that you can share with people who Jesus is through your actions so that you have the right to tell them who Jesus is so that they can come to know Jesus or come to know Jesus better. We strongly encourage you to share this message this podcast on your social media, Facebook, Instagram, message, email someone who you think could benefit from it. It's an easy way for you to go out and witness to the world just by sharing this podcast. We hope you'll join us tomorrow. Have a wonderful day.